Hey guys, just a real quick one before we jump into the Ironman World Champs preview. Uh, me and Craig Alexander recorded this episode a few days ago. In that time, a few things have happened to some of the big favourites, you know, like Laura Phillip getting quite sick from all reports and uh, a little bit of an incident with Sam Long and a car in training. Anyway, we didn't know these things while we recorded, so it might have changed a few things we said and and maybe the way we chatted about a couple of things that happened that we think will happen inside the race. Nothing drastic, but just thought I should chuck on that little disclaimer before we got started. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Stoked to have you here. Enjoy. Welcome back to a special edition of How They Train. I'm joined once again by three-time Ironman world champion and former Ironman world champs course record holder, Craig Crowey-Alexander, to preview the 2022 Ironman world champs in St. George, Utah, America, which are happening this weekend. Now, this is without question the most unique edition of the Ironman world champs of all time, as it's technically the 2021 world champs. It's just been delayed until May 2022 because of COVID. It's also not taking place in Kona, Hawaii, which is where the world champs have been every single year without fail since 1981. But the world champs will then happen again later this year in October, back in Hawaii. It's a little bit confusing, but if you're listening to this, there's a high chance you already knew that. And if you didn't, well, you're listening to this podcast, so you're definitely smart enough to understand. Crowey, what's your take on the entire situation with the two world champs in one year at two different locations? Well, mate, it's it's unprecedented and it's different as you mentioned, but, but why not? I mean, you know, they say a week is a long time in sport. Well, it's been over two years since we've contested an Ironman world champs in our sport. So, you know, it must feel like a lifetime for the athletes. So it is what it is. I mean, I think in life, in sport, in everything, you've got to adapt. Um, you've got to use your initiative. You just got to get on with it. Um, you know, they say the show must go on and for us, it's going on next weekend in Utah. So yeah, I'm all for it. I mean, I know, and I understand when the traditionalists say it's, it's not going to be the same. Well, how, how, how can it be? It's in a different place, but it's still the world championships. It's still going to have the best field assembled over this distance for a long time. Um, and, and the winner will be a worthy world champ. So um, you know, I feel for the athletes who haven't had the opportunity to contest this title for a couple of years now. So, yeah, let's just fire the cannon and see what happens. I'm not really too concerned about where it takes place or when it takes place or anything like that. But the big question I have for you, uh, do you think that people will look at this as a legitimate world championships wing? Or do you think that, that you know, in two years' time or somewhere down the line, everyone will still just look at the world champs that happened in Kona later this year and think of that person as the world champ for this year? People will look at it however they look at it. I've, I've given up trying to work out what people think and why. I mean, in the end, if I was the guy or girl who takes the title next weekend, yes, I would think I'm the world champion. And you are rightly the world champion. You have every right to call yourself that. You've beaten a strong, deep field on a, on a world championships worthy course. So um, people, mate, I, I mean, I just, one, one of the things that I guess we have to come to grips with in this world we live in, you know, with reality TV and now social media platforms. And, and that's like everybody's got their own reality TV show and everyone's got an opinion and they're entitled to it. So 
you know, I'm not in the business of shouting down other people. I, I listen to all opinions, but in the end, I just think there hasn't been a race over the Ironman distance with this quality field. And it's a deep field, men's and women's. And certainly there's people missing, but there's always people missing. So for me, what's more interesting is a few different dynamics in play. I mean, usually, you know, all the pundits and the experts have six or seven months of regular racing to look at and, you know, sort of to develop a form guide. Um, you know, typically the world championship events for all distances in our sport come towards the end of the year or the end of the season. This is at the start. So that's something that's unique and different. There's not a lot of recent form to go on. Uh, and it's a different course with different conditions. But man, I just, again, I'm, I hear people break it down and slice it and dice it and talk about Kona and the heat and humidity. Well, Utah's going to be dry and hot. Mightn't have the humidity, but it's going to be hilly. It could have some wind, just like Kona. Generally, what makes these races hard to win is the conditions, but the fact that you're getting pushed to your limits in those conditions by a very deep field. You can race in a hot, dry climate or at altitude or in a hot, humid climate or in the wind. And if you're not getting pushed, you can come off threshold a little bit. It's going to be a, a much easier day. But when you know the stars collide and everyone's there racing, and everybody's on the limit in those tougher conditions, there's, there's much less margin for error. So I always feel that whatever the conditions, whatever the course, the cream rises to the top eventually. And the best athletes, part of what makes them good is that they can prepare um, for the conditions. Those, you know, we've seen a lot of athletes on social media are already in Utah training or are in Arizona, Flagstaff, a lot are in Boulder trying to get that altitude. Although I don't consider St. George a super high altitude, but a lot of athletes are trying to get that altitude acclimation there. So um, yeah, there's a lot of question marks hanging over this race, but everything will be answered shortly. So I can't wait. And you mentioned the course a few times there. I, I think it's important to talk about it a little bit, um, not necessarily because it will be the deciding factor, but just because with the Ironman World Championships, people who watch are so familiar with Hawaii and, and, and the big island of Kona and they know the course uh, backwards and, and they sort of know that how that course can affect dynamics. But I, I assume for most people listening to this, they don't know anything about the, the new course in St. George. Um, so I just wrote down like a few little notes about it that I think make this course unique uh, and, and different compared to, to the course in Kona. Um Probably the big thing with the swim is that it's not in the ocean. It's in the, the reservoir there. So I, I guess that means that it's probably a little um, less dictated to by, by the conditions of the day. You know, like um, you're not going to get the big chop and swell that you can sometimes get in the in the bay there at, at Kona. Um, uh, the reservoir is probably going to be a little bit stiller and, and flatter. And I wonder um, in your mind whether that – that lends itself a little bit to someone who who's just like a stronger pool swimmer and, and, you know, doesn't have to be quite as savvy in open water as opposed to the ocean in Hawaii. Well, I guess I beg to differ a little bit because if, if my memory serves me correctly, there was a race in Utah that the wind whipped up and it had two or three foot swell and actually shortened the swim. And I want to say someone may have even drowned in that swim. Um, so I, I don't know the exact details. It was, it was a race in Utah somewhere though. So, but mate, you, 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 I take your point 100% and I agree with it. Every course presents different challenges. I think what's different about the reservoir swim in St. George is it's, it's fresh water. It's not salt water. So salt water gives you buoyancy, but then I guess 
from what I'm reading and what I understand, the swim in Utah will be a wetsuit swim as opposed to a non-wetsuit swim. Um, and also it kind of, what, what I was reading today, it reminds me of the race in Melbourne. Although the race in Melbourne was in Port Phillip Bay, which is a saltwater swim, it was very, very cold in the morning. Um, but then by the time, you know, you hit the marathon, it's 30 degrees Celsius. And that brings a different dynamic itself because, you know, some people struggle a little in the colder water, but it's still going to be a hot race by the sounds of things. So, you know, you certainly don't have to worry about getting cold in the water in Kona. So there's certainly a few different dynamics in play, but that's why I think we see the smarter athletes are, have been in Utah training and training on the course, swimming in the reservoir, riding on the, on the course. And I mean, that's exactly what I did when I first went to Kona. I, I went there the year before I raced there just to train there for two or three weeks, just to familiarize yourself with everything, everything that, you know, the environment and that mother nature can throw at you wherever it is that you are. And I think you get more familiar with the conditions, um, you know, where the wind blows from typically when it can change what time of day. And, you know, I noticed that Daniela reefs up in Arizona, but Katrina Matthews, she's in Utah, I want to say Alistair's already over there. I know um, a lot of athletes from Boulder just did a couple of week training camp on the course in St. George. So yeah, again, I just think it pays to do your homework, but mate, there will, there will be different dynamics. I, I think the, the thing is, you know, the last few years in Kona, the conditions have been quite favorable in the swim and it's been very, very flat and calm. So that makes it almost more like a pool swim anyway. Um, and that could be the case again in Utah, or we could get the wind whip up a little bit of chop on top of the reservoir. So yeah, it just depends on the conditions of the day, but all things to be mindful of. I know there's, there's probably one thing that the athletes in Utah won't have to worry too much about, which is always a consideration in, in Hawaii, in Kona, when you race there is just the currents and which way the tide's running, because that makes a difference where you would start and sort of what line you want to take out and, and back towards the pier as well, depending on which way the water's moving. So um, but you make a good point. Kona's an ocean swim. This is in a reservoir. So there are differences um, with those two things. But, you know, there can be wind and you can get that surface chop in St. George as well. So something the athletes are going to have to deal with on race day. But if that wind does whip up, you know, it sort of lends itself, I think, to the people who are more proficient in open water and also the stronger swimmers who don't tend to worry about those sort of rougher conditions. And then I think the, the part of the course I'm most excited about, as much as how it will affect dynamics, I, I think just because it's going to be like um, quite a spectacle and, and really nice scenery is that the bike, um, for, for the first 85K, it's just full of rolling hills. Um, I, I, and I, I sort of anticipate everyone working pretty hard over those rolling hills for the first 85K. Um, and, and then between sort of 85 and 130 kilometers, it's just a a slow, gradual uphill the whole way. It doesn't really descend at all over over that patch of about 45, 50K um, before it gets to this last little patch uh, at about 130K, which is this hill called the wall. And it's um, sort of like a 12% gradient, really steep hill, which uh, you don't really get very often in, in Ironman. Um, and then you sort of descend into the 160k mark where you hit Snow Canyon, which is a really famous climb in St. George um, up Snow Canyon Road, um, which comes 160k into an Ironman bike course. And and it's a, it's a really brutal climb, um, particularly given that it's that deep into the bike. And, and then when you hit the top of that, it's a, a lightning fast 
descent into transition, um, which is like, I, I guess, similar to Kona, it has really technical elements. You have to be very fast descending. You have to have the right gear choices to descend and the right equipment to descend fast. But but also you have to be able to be able to climb fast because there's 2,300 meters of elevation gain over the entire bike course. Yeah, I just think it's got Gustav Eden's name written all over it, to be honest, <laughs> um, from, from the men's perspective. But yeah, I mean, again, you want to be a strong bike rider. I mean, look, no one who's going to finish in the top five really will have weaknesses. You have to be good in all three disciplines to, to compete at this level. Um, and again, I just I think it speaks to being a great swimmer because you don't want to be chasing that first half of the bike ride that's rolling hills. It, and I know a lot of people have raced there and, they, and they've told me that the road surface is great and the flattened downhill parts, it can be fast. The course can be very, very fast in sections. So when the course is, course is fast like that, it makes it harder to catch up. I just think it plays to athletes who are strong across the board, particularly if you, you're one of, you know, when you're in that lead group out of the water, you're calling the shots because really where you want to do all your damage on this bike course is in the back half. Um, you said it yourself, there's that 30 or 40K sort of false flat grindy uphill um, straight into the wall and then Snow Canyon, which is an 11K climb that comes in the last half hour of the race. And then when you... You hit the top of Snow Canyon, you have a fast descent, but you just don't want to free will. You've still got to be able to power up down that hill. So, you know, you want to have some legs left. Um, I think it's a great course and, you know, it, it'll, be, it'll set up well for someone who can be towards the front of the race, I think, straight out of the swim. I don't think you want to burn too many matches trying to catch a front group two or three minutes up the road in the first two hours of the bike ride. Because I think a lot of the damage and, and, you know, the big moves, the winning moves on the bike could come in the back half, the back 60K. And then the run course will be like, in my mind, deceptively brutal. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's not just that it's a, a marathon at the end of a 180K ride. It's, it's that the, the bike ride will be lightning fast, I think, um, just because I, I'm with you that, that I think people know um, if they're in that front group, that that's where the winner's probably going to come from out of the swim. So I think they'll ride really hard. Um, and, and and then the the marathon course itself, it's sort of, it's a weird course. It's like um, you basically run uphill for 5K, downhill for 5K four times, um, yeah. quite gradual both. So um, if you've ever ran a course like that, you know how brutal it is because your, your legs get beat up on the downhill just as much as the uphill, um, especially given that you've, you've done so much climbing on, on the bike beforehand. So um, it's, it's sort of not very um, – uh, like everyone can relate to this in, in how, how heavy and, and how, how much the athlete's legs will be hurting on that marathon. And I see a lot of blow-ups happening, um, maybe even more so than, than the conditions of Kona lead to. Um, especially, like I said before, given that the, that the pace will be on in the, the male and female bike. Yeah, I mean, I always think those kind of run courses and Las Vegas had a similar course when it was the 70.3 Worlds. Up for five, down for five, up for five, down for five. I tend to like those courses because you, you, you change muscle groups a little bit. You're not always, uh, like on a flat course, you sort of, I guess, same stride length, just using the same muscles, the same weight, and they can fatigue quicker. The, I guess the caveat there is though, to run downhill, it's, it, it's a course that suits someone who's a really good runner because obviously 
You need to be fit and strong to run uphill well, but a really good runner with good technique can run downhill fast at a low energy cost and not just survive the downhill, not just lean back and let gravity do all the work and smash your quads. You know, there's, there's actually a, a skill to running downhill fast for a low energy cost. So yeah, all in all, it's a great course. It could be won and lost, you know, in a hundred different places um, right from the swim. And there's a lot of little nuances to this course, yeah, that you, you probably won't see on paper, but the athletes racing will notice for sure. It's uh, funny because I thought straight away when you said that you liked the course, in my head I said to myself, yeah, that's because you're a, you're a lifelong, lifelong runner and a very good runner. And then you, you went on to say that. And I think you're right. It is a, it's a run course that suits a pure runner. And we're definitely going to get onto that in, in the men's and women's race in a second. Um, I, I think let's start with the men's race and do a little bit of a deeper dive in it and see if we can break it down a little bit. Um, I think the men's race is fascinating as much because of the, the omissions as, as the blokes who are starting. Um, Cause obviously we don't have Jan Frodeno there. Patrick Lang's pulled out. Uh, we've just found out Javier Gomez is out. Tim O'Donnell's out. Joe Skipper is out. Josh Amberg is out. There's a, there's a lot of guys there that, that have either won it or affect the race or have come, you know, finished on the podium. Um, and I think that's exciting because the only ex winner left in the race is Sebastian Kinley. So, Unless Seb wins it, we're, we're going to have a, a, a guy who has never won before winning the, the world champs. And that's definitely not to say Sebastian can't win it because uh, Sebastian on his day, this course suits him, I think. Um, yeah, and then and then like no Josh Amberg, I think affects the swim. No Javier Gomez, I think affects the swim because they're two guys who would have been up the front pushing the pace um, and probably would have been allies for, for guys like you know, Alistair Brownlee trying to get away from, from guys like Gustav Eden or Lionel Sanders or, or that caliber of athlete. Um, and, and then like the, there's other things that, that are exciting about it. I think there's the, the debuts of the Norwegians in, in Gustav and, and Christian Blumenfeld and, and even Sam Long. I think Sam Long is, has gained quite a, a following and, and his debut on a course that we know he, he races really well at or a very similar course to the Ironman 70.3 World Champs were there or, or Ironman um, 70.3 St. George, he, he's raced really well there. And, and I think everyone has sort of big wraps on what he can do in Ironman, maybe now, maybe down the line. So I think that'll be very interesting. Um, and, and then like some other things like Alistair Brownlee, can he ever get, Ironman right and can he get Ironman right on the biggest day in Ironman yeah they're all great questions aren't they I mean I don't think anyone can sit here and give definitive definitive answers to those questions um, which probably what is what makes this whole race and this whole discussion interesting for me I mean I just keep coming back to I just I can't see where Gustav can be beaten um given everything goes according to plan for him and even everybody else. I think from what I've seen, everybody on their best day, I think Gustav wins. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen if everyone can turn up with their best day. And again, though, the Norwegians have shown with their scientific approach and, you know, they have a, an extensive coaching staff who do all the thinking. Those boys really just turn up and train. Everything's scheduled and dialed in and organized and um you know i think in that sort of a structure and it's the way they've always operated in that sort of a system that lends itself to consistency because yeah there's other people worrying about a lot of the logistics and the scheduling of the training and 
um, I think it's shown that it, it's it's worked for them with their personalities. They work well in that sort of a setup and that sort of a system. So we did see a little bit of a blip in the radar for, for Christian at uh, the Dubai 70.3 earlier this year, which, you know, I know people, a lot of people mightn't look too much into. I look a little bit into it because I just think, you know, generally speaking, you wouldn't see an overwhelming favourite and someone in great form be that far behind um, and, and be shown to have some chinks in, in the armour a little bit. Um, I think he missed that group in the swim there and then <clears throat> the front group always moves quicker for whatever reason. One of the main reasons is it's got most of the media vehicles around it and I'm not trying to be controversial. I mean, that's just a fact. Um, so, you know, if you miss that sort of group at the front, it takes a super, super bunch of Uber cyclists to bridge that gap and often they still don't. I remember in Kona a couple of years ago, that front group stayed away. Um, and, you know, there was a group behind that had Seb, that had Camworth, that had Lionel, um, Philip Kootenay from Switzerland, Boris Stein. So generally speaking, the front group stays away. So um, I agree with what you said, not wanting to digress, but not having Josh Armberger there. He's a guy who's shown that he's willing to swim hard and swim from the front, whereas most of the other good swimmers and contenders really want to sit in in the swim. And they're hoping someone picks up the pace. So athletes like you mentioned, like potentially Sanders, uh, Worth, Eden, Blumenfeld, maybe get gapped. Um, but not many want to lead from the front of the swim, and that's what Josh normally does. So not having them there... <clears throat> I, you know, I was just amazed watching Kona in 2019 how that front group really worked hard and, and Jan just sat towards the back for a little while and really you just got the sense that he was just waiting for the back half to make his move and that's exactly what happened. And, you know, notwithstanding the fact that Alistair did get a puncture there, which was costly coming down from Harvey. But, yeah, it's, some of those scenarios that you've posed I think definitely impact the race, not having Javier and Josh in the swim. I think great swimmers, swimmers who can swim really quick at not a lot of energy cost, want to push the pace. They want to use their strength to put everyone else in the race on the back foot, um, obviously to open a time advantage, but to fatigue the other athletes as well. So, <clears throat> and not just, you know, with Harvey and not just with the swim, I was just excited to see how he was going to race over the full Ironman distance now that he's actually focusing on it. And you know, has been training under Dan Plews this year, um, who I think is one of the best, you know, triathlon coaches running around at the moment, Dan. And obviously he's a great athlete himself. He, he won his age group in Kona, and I think he was the first overall age grouper across the line that year um, in a phenomenally quick time. And I know it was quick conditions, but he still had to race two other, 2,000 other age groupers. He was, he won. He, he was first across the line. So, um I was interested to see how Javier was going to race sort of under his guidance, um, but we don't get to see that. Another guy I think was going to, you know, it was a bit of a spoiler and could certainly be, a, I guess, a bit of a protagonist in the race was Joe Skipper. Um, you know, not known for his swimming strength, but again, he would have been a strong ally for that second group or the third group and very strong on the bike and not willing, not, you know, not, not scared to ride, always willing to ride very, very hard and then still runs close to 240 um, off a hard ride. So I think he will be missed. Um, so you're right, the, the, 
the omissions are glaring. And of course, you've got three-time champion Jan Fredino not racing and, and two-time champion Patrick Lunger not racing. So, I mean, those two gentlemen have five titles between them. So, yeah, their, their absence will be will be immense. And, and both of those guys definitely, I think, would have been contending for the podium or even better. So, I mean, we saw Patrick's race last year in Tulsa where he just decimated an unbelievable field. And then he went to... He went to challenge Roth and did seven hours, 19 minutes. And I know everyone poo-pooed it because it was, what, 10K short on the bike. But at the speeds they're riding, you know, you add, you add 12 minutes onto his time, it's still a 7.31, which was, you know, four minutes quicker than Jan had ever gone on that course. And, um, you know, I think that that result in that race was, didn't really get the media attention that it probably deserved. But I guess for the point of this conversation, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because he's not there either. So, but it made that look. That's always the way with the Ironman World Champs. It's a war of attrition in the build-up, um, and there's always people who succumb to injury or illness. Uh, I guess what's a little um, eye-opening for me is it's come at the start of the season, and usually comes these injuries. You know, it's wear and tear over a long season. But you know, this is the first really big race for the athletes this year. And I guess it is a little concerning. There's so many injuries already. And I mean, the greater question for me is, you know, this is, I guess the first major championship race of the year. And then, you know, the PTO have added championship races to the schedule. We have another Ironman world championship later in the year in a 70.3 walls. There's a sub seven project. And, you know, some of the athletes who have, who are signing on for all those events, I think need to be a little careful because there's already signs of wear and tear. I mean, Lucy Charles, is for me she's the big out in the race i mean she was i thought almost i I would never say an unbackable favorite but she was a huge favorite in my eyes for the women's race and now she's not there so um yeah i think the athletes need to be careful this year um and the only reason i mentioned is because you know we're, we're discussing the the people who haven't even made the start line for this race and it's you know still a long season ahead I'm sort of with you, lots to take out of that. I'll try and unpack a bit of it. But I'm sort of with you with uh, people bunch the Norwegians together. They just say the Norwegians and I, I'm guilty of doing it myself there. But in, in terms of this race, from the lens of this race, I, I don't think we should put those two together because I'm with you um, and and we're going to come to it. But I think Gustav is just an – you, you just mentioned Lucy. I think Gustav is an unbackable favourite. I don't see – how anyone be- beats Gustav unless be- Gustav beats himself um, this weekend. And and I don't think Christian can compete at the distance in, in, with Gustav. I think over every other distance, you know, they're pretty comparable and, and it's just who has a better day. But but I don't think – I don't really trust Christian over, over the 180K bike into the marathon, particularly not racing other guys who are – who are there, uh, you know, at their fittest, ready to race. I think he can go to a, an Ironman and – you know, target or race a little bit and, and that has a fast course and, and, and go, you know, do a really fast time like he did in Cosimo. I think he's very capable of that, but a tough course against, you know, world-class competition all on. I don't, I don't, I don't know. We're going to get to our predictions, but I don't even know if I see Christian on the podium uh, on the weekend. Um, but I see Gustav as almost impossible to beat unless there's something going on that we don't know about like injury or illness. Um, and, and then a few other things that, that you sort of mentioned that I w- want to talk about. Camworth's a big one because Camworth focusing on the race is a big factor. He 
he is without question going to either drag a group up or he's going to get to the front of the race and ride really hard. We know he's going to ride really hard, but but does anyone know if Cam Worth is actually in it? Like, is Cam Worth focused on it? Does he want to be there? Does he want to win it? Or or is he, you know, is he racing World Tour cycling? Is he thinking Kona later in the year? Do you, do you have any insight on that? None whatsoever. I mean, I know we did Paris-Roubaix a couple of weeks ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's why, you know, making predictions can be a poison chalice because unless you're in camp with people, training with them day in, day out, you don't really know where their head is at. and, and where their training focus is. So um, Cam Worth could be a spoiler in the race and he could change the dynamics of the race. I don't know if he can have the race that he had in Kona when he, I think it was at fifth or sixth that he finished. Fifth, yeah, fifth. Yeah, fifth place, which was, I thought, an amazing performance and showed that he has some upside for maybe even a little higher. And, and you know, if I'm walking around in his shoes, I would have podium aspirations after that performance. but. Yeah, who knows? I mean, he's he's on the world tour now for cycling. I can't imagine he's getting a lot of structured swimming and running in. Um, but who knows? He's a phenomenal athlete and with a huge base. So, you know, I, I just keep thinking it's good stuff as well. I just can't see. And again, unless there's injury or illness there that we don't know about. But if he races his best race, we know he's a really strong swimmer. We know on the bike he can climb, he can descend, he can corner, possibly if not the best biker in the field, when you factor in his time trundling ability, his cornering, his technical abilities, descending, he's in the top two or three cyclists in that race, in my view, and the best runner in the field. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting. I had him, even before all the emissions and the pullouts and the injuries, I had him winning. Um, Me too. I had, I had him winning. I, I didn't, you know, I don't even think it'll be close. I think he'll win by a few minutes, but... I, I've, I was leaning more towards Christian for Kona. I think with a little bit less climbing, more of a power course. Kona's always been a course for big men, I think. I mean, if you look at on the men's side, there's only really two smaller guys who have ever, ever won, Welshie and Patrick Langer. Um, I know Thomas was a shorter guy, but very you know, muscly, very strong build. Norman was a big guy. Peter Reid, Fredino, Alan Scott, big guys. Maka, big guy. So... Christian, I think, fits that mould. I think he's a strong athlete. We know he can race well in the humidity. Um, you know, we know the Norwegian, the way they train, the Norwegian setup, they just, they acclimate beautifully. They, they will prepare their athletes really well for those conditions. But, you know, with all that he's doing this year, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of, I don't know, we're not, this is not a, this is a Utah preview show, not a Kona one, but I'm kind of thinking, you know, with everything that's unfolding, it's kind of, leans back to yarn for Kona. I mean, everyone's going to be, I reckon, gassed by October. Gustav has said he's probably not racing in Kona. So can take one big hitter um, off the start list. You know, a full six months of racing between now and the, I just think, you know, Jan, if this is not a, a serious injury and if he's still, if his head is still in the game and he's still very motivated, I mean, this could play into his hands beautifully come Kona time, but We'll leave that for another show. I mean, I just, yeah, I just think Gustav's, he's the man to beat. As far as the rest of the podium goes, mate, it's its a little bit of, um, I don't know, put a blindfold on and throw a dartboard at the wall. I mean, I think I, I could see Christian getting on the podium. And if he did, it would be an amazing performance, but I could see it, I could see it happening. I could see Alistair doing it as well. Um, 
I don't have the concerns over the Ironman distance with Alistair that a lot of people have. I just think he's probably the best pure swim bike runner we've ever seen and one of the most competitive races we've ever seen. And if his body's right, um, you know, we saw him win Ironman WA, I want to say two years ago. Um, in what, what time did he do? 7.41 on a blistering hot, similar conditions, hot and dry. So uh, maybe the only difference in the question mark is that, you know, Bustleton's a flat course. How will his run technique um, handle the hills? Um, you know, he's a, very much a, a runner, an athlete who lands on his sort of forefoot when he runs. So that's potentially the only question mark, but I could see him on the podium. I could see Patrick Nielsen. Um, we haven't seen a lot of him recently, but he did win Ironman Europe probably eight months ago now, seven months ago. You know, in a great performance. So he he could be in the mix. Um, Lionel Sanders, I just think his level of ability um, is too high not to be a contender. And I know there's all sorts of discussions around Lionel that you know often he can get in his own way, and, and that's that's possibly true. But I I'm a huge fan of his, and I just think having Gustav's brother Mikael coaching him, I, you know, I think that might bring sort of a that sort of I don't know that even-handed Norwegian mentality to the table where maybe that's what Lionel's been lacking. I don't know. Time will tell, but I thought his race in Oceanside was brilliant. So, um, and you know, with his training volume, he's going to go the distance. He's not going to, he's not going to run out of steam. So I've got Lionel up there. I think um, with Alistair, a big question that I always have with Alistair, I'm like you, I don't, uh, in my opinion, Alistair's the greatest to ever do it. I think if you lined up everyone, you know, on their day and they had to do an individual time trial swim, bike, run, who wins it. I think Alistair wins it. Yeah, um, agreed. But the, 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 my, my big question with Alistair is can he hold himself back early oh, yeah. to, have, to have the race that he is like has the potential to have? Because Alistair's such a competitor and changed the way short course triathlon is raced where he swam fucking hard, he rode even harder and he hated you if you didn't ride hard with him. Yeah. And then he had a one kilometre race at the start of the run that broke everyone. Yeah. Um, and he sort of, he takes that mentality with him. He's a killer. He's a, he's a, he's a racer. He's a born racer. Um, and he, he, every Ironman we've seen him done do except Bustleton, which he had a really good performance at. He swims so hard from the front and he, he, that first 40 to hundred K in the bike, he just, he just rides hard. He doesn't really sit in and he does a little bit, but eventually he gets sick of it and he, and he can't contain himself and he goes to the front. Um, and then we've seen him have a few blow-ups. So I think the big question with him is, can he be patient enough to actually let himself win the race? Mate, you, you've hit the nail right on the head. That's, his, that's the only question with him. Given that he's, he's, he's injury-free, which he says he is, um, apparently he was nursing a little bit of a chest cold going into Oceanside, but from what I've read and what he said publicly, his body is healthy. So that's the only question with him, but that, that's where we'll, I guess we'll get to find out his, I guess that's, you know, that's where we find out how great he is because part of being great is not just, it's understanding what the demands of the race you are in and meeting those demands and then exceeding them. You don't win an Ironman in the first hour. And that's, mate, I agree. I mean, I think, I think Alistair won two silver medals at 70.3 worlds where he should have won the race. Port Elizabeth and Nice. I think he blew it at the start of the run. Um, and the experience of the other two. And it's interesting because Gustav, 
didn't have, uh, I guess, half Ironman experience in terms of racing experience, but he had experience as an athlete and he had a really well laid out plan that he followed. You just saw him checking his watch. He was checking the splits. You know, Alistair sat down and put socks on. Gustav ran out, got 10 or 15 second head start and just ran to his watch. Alistair ran up to him in 2K, ran that time out of him in two kilometers. And then they ran together, actually dropped Gustav a little bit. And then Gustav caught up. They ran together for about another kilometer. And then Gustav just ran away again, just running to his tempo and his race plan. So, and I think the same thing happened in Port Elizabeth. I mean, he's so competitive. He just, he wanted to be up at the front where, where Javier and Jan were. And he just, it looked like he just, only Alistair really knows, but it looked like he burnt too many candles. And, and Jan was just running his own race again, his tempo that he knew he could hold for, for an hour. And I think for Alistair, the blueprint has to be what he did in Bustleton. And maybe he did it there because the depth of competition wasn't the same. He could relax a little more. I don't know. But for whatever reason, if you watch that race, Sam Appleton did a lot of the, the work on the front of the bike. Not to say Alistair drafted. He sat 25 metres back. But it was up to Sam was the one setting the tempo. And Alistair just sat there and, and waited took his turn on the front and then would drop back again. And, you know, when I watched him race Kona for the first time, just exploding up Polani Hill, 150 metres in front of the group, you know, Jan was just sitting on the back of that group, just comfortable riding up that hill. That's, that's 10 kilometres into the race. And, you know, Jan, Jan knew that guys like um, Joshi Armberger and a few others would, would pick up the pace work and, and they did. And, and Jan, I mean, he tactically, that's one of the most brilliant performances I think I've ever seen, matched with incredible physical prowess. But the way he just put the whole field to the sword, the last 60K of that bike ride, and then ran comfortably, I mean, that, that's the blueprint. I mean, when you have a field, any world championship field with a lot of contenders, a lot of great athletes who are extremely fit, mentally strong, highly motivated, you're not going to drop them in the first hour. It's just not going to happen. Um, so this is where we'll find out Alistair's greatness. Can he adapt um, his race plan and his strategy a little bit? Um, and if he does, I think, I think we'll see amazing things. But, you know, we, we need to move on because there's other names. And, and you, you mentioned Sam Long. I mean, yeah, I mean, had a strong second place at 70.3 worlds on this course, had a strong second place to Lionel in, was just a battle royale. Um, I think it was the Ironman North American 70.3 champs last year. One quarter lane um, seems to be very, very fit and full of confidence. So he's a guy you would, he's going to give up a little bit of time in the swim, but his bike run combination, I just can't see him not factoring somewhere into the race. Um, you know, Sebi Keenley, no one's really talking about him, but again, if he's in his best form, I think it's the kind of bike course that with his experience, he could, easily find himself towards the front of the race. And he's an athlete that, you know, early in his career, people said he wasn't a great runner. He was a strong runner. I think he's turned himself into one of the great runners when he's fit. So um, he's a guy you couldn't count out. I mean, and then there's many, I mean, Daniel Backgard. I mean, I guess there's question marks over his Ironman pedigree, but there can't be question marks over, I mean, his level of ability. Um, Podium finished at 70.3 Worlds. Second place earlier this year in Dubai. And that, I mean, that, that was an unbelievable race that Martin Van Riel 
won that race and, and, and you know, Daniel pushed him the whole way. So, I mean, he's a guy I'm looking, looking at thinking, well, would it be a surprise if his name popped up, up you know, on the podium? Braden Curry, we haven't seen much of Braden, but we know he's, he's had top five finishes at the Ironman Worlds in the past. I mean, I just think maybe a little bit of a lack of racing, but again, we, we don't really know, do we? We haven't got a lot to go on in terms of form with Braden, but it's a hard race. I mean, the only, if you're asking for my prediction, the only prediction I can really, uh, I'll, I'll put my neck out and say, I just think Gustav wins it quite comfortably, but I think there could be five or six guys battling for those last two spots on the podium. Christian's one of them, Ali, Sam Long, Lionel, definitely. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's – and I think also with this race, I think we could see very close, you know, time gaps, very deep into the marathon. Um, I think I – think, and I know we say it every year, we think there's going to be another iron war or – I just think that I've just got a feeling – uh, we may see some, I don't know if it'll be shoulder to shoulder, but I think very slim time gaps very deep into the marathon this year. Yeah, I agree with almost everything you've just said. Um, my only question with Sam Long is, is 26 just too young? Like, I know he's he's traveling well, but people don't win Ironman World Championships at 26. They win it at 34, you know. I, I just, that's my only question is, can he hold on for, for the marathon? And my gut tells me no, but he's a hard guy to doubt because you know how he trains and you've seen how he races and he, he his bike, you said before that, that you think Gustav is potentially the best uh, cyclist in the sport or long time trials in the sport. I think he's undeniably the, the best him or Cam Worth. I don't really think there's a close second. Um, and, and I would, I would put Sam Long in that. I just, I just wonder if he needs a few more years um, and, and whether this race, I, I can see him, being a big factor in, in dragging Lionel and, and Sebastian and some other guys up. I, I just, I think maybe the back half of the marathon might be hard for him. Um, and then Lionel, like Lionel is the biggest unknown in Ironman. No one knows what I, Lionel doesn't know what Lionel's going to do. I'm, no. I'm convinced of that. No. Um, he, he could come second or he could come 22nd. I think I would, I would have him somewhere in that, in that, in that range. And, and I don't know a, a good race. He probably comes second. Um, and then, like, really interesting, you mentioned Christian and the, the hills. I, that's my big factor with him. I think the hills blow him up, particularly Snow Canyon and the wall. I think I think they destroy his race. And, and that's why I see him. I think he'll be right at the front. He'll be he'll be up there. But I, I think they'll they'll kill his race. And I think he'll struggle late in the marathon as well. Um, even though pedigree, he's probably the, the second or third best athlete in the, in the field. Um, and then, like, some other guys. like So these are the guys I had written down who I think – no one's really talking about but a factors, and you almost na- nailed them all. Braden Curry's probably the main one. Um, he doesn't really have a huge weakness, I don't think, on a course like this. He's a very good climber if you've trained with him. He's, he's, he swims incredibly strong these days, and, and he, his natural pedigree's a runner, and I think this course suits a runner. So he's probably my biggest um, wild card that, that can impact the race, I think. I see him being in, in a run group that's, that's pushing hard and probably runs like a 235 to 240 something like that. Um, but Aeronauts is, is the other one. He's, he's a great runner and he's a strong cyclist. Uh, Daniel Backengard, like you said. The the one that, that I'm really curious about is Matt Hansen. Mm. Now, I don't think Matt is the caliber of athlete who can win an Ironman World Champs in Kona. I don't think the, the race suits him. Uh, I know talking to a good mate of mine and, and yours, Tim Reed, he, he agrees with that, that he can't ever see Matt Hansen winning at Kona. But 
in conversations with him and, and from watching it myself, I think a, a course like this really suits him and he's a he's a very fast runner. He's a strong time trialist. He, he could get dragged up by the likes of Lionel and Sam Long. I think he, he's a bit of a dark horse as well. Um, so like you said, there's I, I think Gustav will win by five to eight minutes uh, and then I think from second to 15th, phew, good luck predicting it. I'm going to have a crack, but I, I think – I think you'd have to be Rain Man to predict that. Yeah, and Matt Hansen's a great pick because he is a great athlete. His his bike run combos very very strong, and I guess it, to some degree his race is dependent upon where he comes out of the swim and who he's with. Um, but yeah, if he's if he's quite close getting off the bike, I mean he could run a low two thirty. I agree. Two two thirty four two thirty two. Who knows? I mean, I remember was it. Was it Ironman Texas a couple of years ago where they did some really fast times? And again, everyone was blowing up because the course was 5K short. So I just find it hilarious how some races can be short and can have a lot of cars and <laughs> can be a really choreographed race that's staged and set up for fast times and everyone raves about it. And then you get these other races where um, and I, where people just sort of disregard I, and and that was one of them texas because it was 5k short on the bike and i and i want to say they changed the course on race morning because of a safety issue the police actually changed the course and i know i spoke to someone who was there timmy burkle and he said that matt hansen's run that day was as good a run as he has ever seen and the run course wasn't short and I think he ran a 234 or 235. And I don't even remember because it didn't get much airplay. 234 but it was, yep. Yeah, there you go. So I knew, I knew you'd know. <laughs> um, an incredible run that no one talks about. And another person who I know was there that day who was watching, because I think he had an athlete racing, was the coach Lance Watson. And he said, yeah, that, those boys at the front, that's as quick a marathon pace as he's ever seen. And Matt, Matt held on to it. So... I think he's a guy who will race well with, you know, in a little bit of altitude and he likes the heat. Maybe he doesn't like the humidity so much. Um, although I'm not sure it's the humidity that hurts him in Kona. I think it's more where he comes out of the swim. He's always isolated and on his own, um, which makes it a long day out there. Um, I want to say that's what happened to him the last time he raced there because I remember standing at the top of Polani as they were heading out on the bike and he was sort of isolated and on his own in between groups. So not a great place to be, but... But I agree with you. He could he could be up there and, you know, if he runs a 234, I guess a lot of people say, where did that come from? But he's more than capable of that. Um, so it's it's tough to pick. I mean, you, you're, your critiquing of Sam Long, I think, is exactly right. I think physically he could win this race. It's can he control his emotions, keep everything in check, not be so pumped up that he's with Lionel and all these guys and, and work you know, sometimes a younger athlete will want to do a lot of work to show their worth and, you know, whereas the old bull, the old bulls will just be wanting to use them up. So um, for me, that's the question with Sam. It's, it's more uh, an experience and um, an execution, should I say, um, question mark, rather than an actual physical level. I think he has the physical level to get on the podium. Can he, can he execute and play his cards right and get the maximum return on his energy expenditures on the day? That remains to be seen. Um, you know, Lionel, I, he's, a, he's an interesting one because I just think working with Gustav's brother will be huge for him because he'll think, well, that's, that's the guy to beat. And I, I almost have a, a front row seat to what you need to do. 
And I think someone who's, and I don't know if this is the case with Lionel, but it sort of appears from the outside that he's jumped between coaches and jumped between training styles and programs. And, you know, finally, when, when you, I guess you get some sort of lightning inspiration and maybe that's just words of wisdom or someone helping you and, you know, you work out there's no magic bullet and this is what we need to do and you buy into it and do it, things can change. So maybe working with Gustav's brother, I think will help Lionel a lot more, not only because of just the X's and O's of coaching, but just the mental side of it as well. So, yeah, who knows? So we both agree that, that Gustav's going to win it and we both agree that he's going to win it by a bit and that the maybe the more fascinating thing might be the battle for second and third. Are, are you going to go out in a limb and, and pick a second and third? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say, um, mate, you know, I chop and change every day. I, I know. M- me too. <laughs> I knew you and I were talking and, and we we're going to preview. So I've been trying to formulate my picks, but I just... Um, I'm going to say Lionel second and I'm going to say Christian third. Okay. I'm going to say Sam Long second and Christian third. Okay. But I think Christian could also finish dead last in this race. <laughs> and and I and I think my big smoky for for the podium is Braden Curry. Yeah. Um, I think I think he's primed. Um Yep. Yep. Hey, let's let's move on to the women's race and, and then uh, and then that'll that'll do us. Uh, the women's race like you already hinted on talking earlier. I think I think a big story in both of these races is the omissions. Um, the women's don't have as many. They, they have one that I think really matters. It's Lucy Charles Barkley because I think her and Gustav were going to do what they did in, in St. George 70.3 worlds and, and absolutely dominate and have two of the best performances we've ever seen in triathlon. I think they, they were both going to replicate that. But, but yeah, like you said, Lucy's got a stress fracture, so she's not there. Um, I guess Flora Duffy didn't take her spot, which is quite interesting. I think she could have had some fun in mm, this race. Um, absolutely. And, and then Sarah Crowley's not I, – I didn't have her pinned as someone. I watched her at Hell of the, Hell of the West, and I, I don't think she was – you know, she's not trying to peak right now, but she, is, she isn't showing up. We know on her day that she's a, she's a podium threat, but, but she's not going to be there. Um, I, I think – I think something to talk about straight off the bat in the women's race is Daniela Reef, uh, and I'm really curious to get your take on this. I, I just don't know where Daniela's at. You sort of mentioned before that she's there, appearing to to be putting in the work, and and you know she's she's appearing to be um, committed to the race. But I, I've just had this sense with Daniela for a couple of years that she's not where she was in the sport in terms of her. I don't want to say commitment because that sounds a little harsh, but I don't think she's as obsessed with being the best and winning like she once was. Um, I think she moved on from her, her longtime coach, Brett Sutton, who had been with her for uh, every single one of her world championship wins, all nine of them. She moved on from them. She, she sort of is more by herself now. Her races in the last sort of two years haven't quite been the, the dominant force they were. I think her, patch of, of nine world champions i don't think we've ever seen a more dominant um triathlete ever in in, in the sport um i don't i don't quite think she's there so w- when i'm talking about daniela in, in this race my brain goes well yeah daniela will win this race but then when i, I think about what we're actually seeing I, I don't think we're dealing with the same daniela reef we once were yeah it's a good point isn't it and i mean only only danny can answer that question whether her and maybe she can't even because sometimes as an athlete, you think your commitment is there. I, I think it's, 
it can be insidious sometimes and it's human nature that we get comfortable. Um, you know, I, I remember I read a quote from that famous boxer, Marvin Hagler, who said, it's hard to get up and run in the dark when you're sleeping in silk pajamas and, and you know, sleeping on silk sheets. You just get comfortable after you've achieved a lot sometimes. So that could be in play. Um, what would be concerning for me was if she was actually targeting Oceanside and, and put in the performance that she put in and, and there was no uh, sort of illness behind it or anything to explain it because, you know, I don't think an athlete of her level, and as you mentioned, I mean, nine-time nine, nine time world champion and probably from, you know, half Ironman distance up, unrivaled in terms of her dominance, male or female, um, you know, I think for a long period of time, if she turned up at a race, she was just unbeatable. That aura has certainly has certainly dissipated, I think, and, and disappeared. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, most champion athletes that that I know wouldn't turn up to an ocean side leading into a, a big race and not want to lay down a very solid marker, not only for their own peace of mind and confidence, but also just to you know send a shot across everyone's bow as well to say, yeah, I'm still here. Um, the way she sort of just came 11th that day <clears throat> and who knows, I mean, she got that, the penalty for, oh, actually she was DQ'd, wasn't she, for speeding down the hill. So DQ'd, yep. But she did cross the line in 11th. So yeah, that's a little concerning. And I think she was well beaten in Dubai as well by Laura Phillips. So yeah, I mean, she's, I haven't got her as my favorite, but again, if she was to come out and win, I wouldn't be that surprised because that's what champions do. Um, you know, they have that drive and that motivation. And, you know, I wouldn't even say it's a matter of wanting to prove other people wrong. They just, when their back's to the wall, they know how to come out swinging and prove themselves right more than prove other people wrong. But, yeah, I, I haven't actually even got her finishing on the podium, to be honest. I just, uh, I, I think her performance at Kona, I'm not really looking too much into that in 2019 because it was two and a half years ago, but you're right about a few things because the Danny that we know and love is the one who can get bitten by jellyfish or get penalties or, you know, have some sort of misadventure or bad luck and still win the race by five minutes, um, you know, and break a course record, you know, and, and that's the thing. I think when the great champions are at the top of their game, they will always win when the going's good, but they can find a way to win when things go against them as well, which is what makes them so great. And that's what Danny did so consistently. Um, I just, I don't know. Yeah, she just, you don't get the feeling she's in the same place. And I don't know if that's a physical thing or a, or a mental thing. Um, but it's certainly a course that suits her when she's at her best. So um, I'll be interested to see how she comes out on race day, you know, given that last final bit of preparation up at altitude, at Flagstaff, and just the desire and the want of a champion. I mean, we can never <clears throat> question that. So, but yeah, for me, there's a few concerning things. I mean, that the race in Dubai, I don't think she was ever challenging sort of Laura. I mean, they swam and biked together, but from the minute they hit T2, it was it was game over. So um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting because I expect a similar dynamic. I mean, I think she's going to be up towards the front, swim and bike, but then there's a marathon to run against a couple of very fleet-footed ladies. Let's talk about uh, Laura Phillip because she's firmly who who I have as my pre-race favourite. Not quite to the level of, of Gustav Eden, but not far off it, I don't think. I think she's going to be very, very hard to beat. Um, there's a few factors why, like you said, her form has been 
uh, outrageous. Um, if we go back to the last World Champs 2019 in, in Kona, she came fourth. She had the fastest bike split of the day. I think if that went race went a little differently, she probably could have even won there. Mm. Um, uh, but then since that, uh, she hasn't lost a race. She, she's been unbeaten since yeah. that race. And, and she's done it off very impressive swim, bike and running, particularly riding very fast and running very fast off the back of that. Um, she's also training with Lisa Norden leading into this race, who I think is going to be the biggest factor in how this race plays out. More than more than Laura, more than Danny, more more than anyone. I think Lisa Norden's going to dictate who wins this race and, and how they win it. Um, so those two training a little bit together, I find quite interesting. Um, and then we have you know Annie Haug, who like it, it's very hard to to like pick against Anne Haug because. This course suits her, I think. I think this course suits her even more than, than Kona suits her in a way. Um, but for some reason, I don't see her being, you know, quite within reach on the on the bike. And and I think Laura's run's gone to a new level. So I think Laura is going to is gonna be a little bit too strong for Annie Hag. Yeah, well, mate, I feel like you've um, hacked my computer and stolen all my picks because I've, I've got Laura as my favourite too. I, think she, I just think she, across the board really doesn't have too many weaknesses and her recent form has just been insane unbelievable world-class flawless i mean call it whatever you want there's a lot of superlatives you could use but yeah you're right she had a, a great race um 2019 in kona and her her two ironman races last year um where she did close to eight and a half thousand both of them or around that time we just they just look like training runs as well so, and I know the conditions were slightly different. One of them was a cooler race. And, but yeah, to me, I just see her as the big favorite. I see her as winning the race. And for me, I've got her battling with Kat Matthews. Um, I've got those two as my sort of two athletes who are battling for the win. And I've got Laura taking it. Um, I hope I haven't jumped ahead <laughs> by, by saying, you know, Cat, we'll yeah, circle back to it anyway. Yeah, we can circle back. But I've, I've just got, for me, it's 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 Laura and Kat racing for the win and it's Danny and Anne racing for the last spot on the podium. So um, that's how I see it unfolding. Yeah, I, I like that. I'm very, very much in agreement with you. It's actually a bit annoying how we sort of just think the same. I, I should have picked someone else to come and do this because uh, it really would work better if we were disagreeing with each other. But... You haven't said anything I disagree with yet. So it's, it's, uh, I guess that just speaks to, you know, maybe, maybe, I think I was thinking about this race as being quite, quite unpredictable across both races. But, but over the, the course of this conversation, maybe I'm thinking it's not. I think it's going to be very hard to pick who comes third, fourth, fifth, sixth. But, but maybe the, the top slot isn't actually going to be that hard to pick. Um, I, I think Cat Matthews is interesting. Uh, she, she, in my opinion, she hasn't won a race against a world-class field or, or even really been at the pointy end, you know, competing for the win in a, like in a proper world-class field over the distance. And, and I agree. I had her written down as, as someone who I think will probably finish on the podium, but I, I don't know if I can trust her. So I'm, I'm curious what, what makes you uh, so confident she's going to finish on the podium. Oh, I trust her. I just think, well, she put on a, a demonstration in, was it Lanzarote? When was the last 70.3 where she really just gave Anne a good bathing? Um, so, 
I think she does believe she can beat the top contenders. And I know it was a different distance, but it was a race with a hard bike course. Uh, and I think she not only thinks she can win, but she can see in her mind how she can do it. I think, I think uh, she has a clear vision of, and I think that's important when you go into these races and you talked about it with Sam Long or I talked about it. It's one thing to, you know, get on social media and, uh, you know, sprout off at the press conference, but when the pressure's on and your heart rate's up and, you know, there's no separation, all the big hitters are still there, do you truly believe you can do it and how are you going to do it? In your mind, how are you going to do it? I think Kat can see how she's going to do it. I think she can see how she can work her way through this field and, and get up the pointy end. So I do have a confidence in her and that's, that confidence has come the last six or 12 months with some of her performances and I think she really believes that she can do it. Her performance of the 70.3 world champs over a very similar course was was impressive. Uh, I guess what gets lost in that race is that Lucy beat second by eight minutes and, and Kat finished 10 minutes behind her. So I sort of, maybe when I said she hasn't been competing for the win at, at, at the point end of a world championship field, I was meaning the full length distance, but over 70.3, there's no question she has. You know, Lanzarote, like she said, where she beat Anne, Anne by about four or five minutes and and then, yeah, finished fourth at Ironman 70.3 World Champs and the three girls who beat her aren't racing. Um, so I can see that. Uh, it's just the distance is, is what is a little unknown for me. Yeah, well, the distance is unknown for everyone. I mean, when you're, when you're redlining, the distance is unknown for, for everyone. And I think, I mean, doesn't she have a 248 marathon in an Ironman to her credit? Uh, yeah, at UK. A low 250, yeah, a low two. And again, different conditions, but that's a hard bike into a run so I think there's enough pieces of the puzzle there for her mentally to think I can put all this together and it's not beyond the realms of possibility in fact it's it's actually quite probable that this will all fall into place nicely for me I think I mean that's how I'd be thinking if I was her and, and you're right I mean 70.3 worlds last year nobody was in the same zip code as Lucy and but take her out of the race I think the others grow some confidence and then, I mean, she having Lucy in the race just changes everything because she has everyone on the back foot from the minute the gun goes off. And you're, you're trying to manage the deficit from the minute the gun goes off in the swim and at the start of the bike with Lucy. Um, and so I think you take her out of the race. That, that changes things a lot. I think a lot of people breathe a sigh of relief without her in the race. I just think it changes the dynamic and it gives people more of a, um, a license to race the race they want to do. And that's, that's what every athlete has in their mind, the perfect scenario of how they want to execute in this race. And often with certain competitors, you don't get that luxury. Um, they take that decision out of your hands and they put you on the back foot early. Uh, Craig Walton was one of those that comes to mind, you know, who I used to race, obviously in short course racing, but, you know, it becomes less tactical and, and more about, well, the gun's going to go off and, he's going to disappear. And that's what Lucy does. So there's no time for tactics and saving yourself and executing this plan where I'm going to um, do this or that. Um, but it's a fine balance because you still need a plan in Ironman. And that's the difference. And, and we talked about that with Alistair as well, needing some sort of patience early. But I just think Lucy changes the race because she puts everyone on the back foot, puts everyone under pressure, mental pressure as well as physical pressure. And that just makes it a harder day. So <clears throat> I think not having her in the race, and you said it, I mean, with, without her at 70.3 Worlds last year, Kat's on the podium and possibly contending for a win. So, 
yeah, no, I've got her. I'm comfortable with her as my pick for second place. And I agree with that. That I, I I was thinking about this literally yesterday, where um, it, it's why I say that I think Lisa Norden is now the person who affects this race more than any other female in the field. I, I It would have been Lucy. Lucy would have won this off the front. No one would have seen her from the first second. She would never have seen another female, I believe. But now I see a scenario where there's, there's sort of bigger groups on the swim. And for mine, Lisa Norden is the, the fastest cyclist in this race by a long way. Uh, I think if you put them, you know, started them and said, okay, 180K time trial, I think she wins by eight to 10 minutes. I think she's that much faster than the next fastest female cyclist in the in the field. Um, and so I foresee a world where where Lisa drags a few people with her, maybe a Laura. Um, Laura, and I think and Kat, she, Laura and Kat will go with her. That That's, yeah, that's the big reason why I do have a little bit of faith in Kat and why, spoiler alert, I do have her on my podium as well. I just don't think Lisa can hold it. I don't think her marathon's good enough. I think she, I think she'll run quite slow, 20 minutes slower than, than, than Laura who will win it. Um, so I think she will be the, the person who affects the race more than anyone else, but I don't think she herself can, can compete for the win. Yeah. I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I mean, I do love Lisa. I think she's a great athlete, but yeah, I mean, you just, you can't have a weakness. You, you can't be giving up 20 minutes. Um, and I, to be fair, I haven't followed her that closely recently, although I know she had let off the bike in a couple of races and been run down. So, and they were 70.3s. Yeah. Um, and I know, I think her Ironman debut was Lake Placid last year where she got run down. I think she finished third. Um, and she was run down by Heather Jackson late and... Um, can't remember who won that race, but yeah, mate, I, th- I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I think Lisa is such a great bike rider. I mean, she's she's ridden at the world championships in the time trial. She's just, and she's ridden on a pro women's cycling team. She is an amazing, amazing bike rider. Um, possibly could outsplit some of the men. That wouldn't surprise me over that course. Um, such a beautiful bike rider technically and everything. Um, and, and she will. And, and I think she'll swim close to the front. She's always been a good swimmer. Um, yeah, she was certainly a, a first or second pack swimmer in her I, ITU days. So uh, she, she is someone who, um, like some of the men you mentioned, will, will certainly leave her fingerprints all over this race. But I just think that Laura, I mean, she's just giving Laura and Kat the golden ticket to really get away from, from Anne on the bike. And the question for me will be, can... Because, of course, we saw Danny ride with Laura in Dubai. I'll be interested to see, you know, can Danny ride with, with that group? If Lisa, if Lisa gets on the front and starts charging, can Danny go with her? And, and then if she does, how much gap is there back to Anne? And can Anne possibly hang on for a little bit? So, you know, there's certainly some questions to be answered. But I just, whichever scenario I keep playing over in my mind, I still come back to Laura at the front, Laura and Kat. Um, you know, battling it out. And, and, and I don't know, I don't think Laura wins it super, super comfortably, but I think it's a, it's a, a decent margin. Um, I just see her winning it um, based on her just all round class in all three disciplines, her tactical her awareness and her consistency. I just, I just can't see her getting beaten. Yeah. Um, back to, back to Lisa just quickly. She, she actually won uh, Lake Placid. I'm pretty sure she, she just, 
she ran really slow. She ran three sixteen, and Heather oh. Jackson nearly got her. Well, not okay. really, but but was running her down. But but I think maybe what you're thinking was she went to Mallorca and she got run down for fourth and, right. and ran three fifteen. So she hasn't. She, she's just not running fast enough to to win a world championship race, um, like you said. I think maybe a few other names we haven't talked about. Um, let me <sighs> let me give my smokies before you do. Okay. 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 Yep. Two girls I'm interested to watch. Well, one is always Heather Jackson. Because I just I just think she has fight. I think this course will suit her. I think it doesn't matter whether she's in a group or not. I think she's a good little bike rider. And I just think I just think this course will suit her. I know for me, the only caveat is I know she's had some issues um, in the past with with the altitude um, and her breathing. So if if that's been sorted out, I see her getting in the top five. Um, so she's she's one of my smokies or athletes to watch for the top five. I just I just think she I just think she'll come through and get a top five. And the and the other girl I'm really interested to watch. You know I've I've enjoyed watching her journey the last two years is Ruth Astle. I just think um, you know coming through the Zwift Academy, winning her age group and being the first age grouper overall in Kona in 2019, and then stepping up to Ironman racing. You know and then. Having a few solid top 10s, I think, in 2020, I want to say she finished seventh in Tulsa in a really competitive field. And then in 2021, she won she won Mallorca, that race that you referenced before that Lisa was in. And um, I can't remember the other race that she won, but I know she's had two. I might have been Barcelona. Is that correct? I'm not sure. Yeah, I just think she's, and I know she's up in Flagstaff, you know, breathing in that thin air, in that dry climate, just getting, getting her... <laughs> throat and her lungs used to breathing in that fire, the hot, dry air. Um, I just think she's, yeah, I think she's built for this course. And I actually had a chat to her about a month or so ago for, for Argon 18. And I just, I just like her mindset too, you know, from Leeds, likes riding in the, you know, in the hills, doesn't mind the sleet and the sideways rain in Leeds, doesn't mind the heat. I think she's just got a really good temperament and mindset for Ironman racing and, each year we've seen her in the pro ranks, she's just improved noticeably. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just intrigued to watch her race in, in Utah. I'm a big fan of Ruth. I, I, I think she'll be there. I just, her bike is phenomenal and, and only getting better. I don't think she can run with these girls. She's a bit of Lisa Norden about it there. She, she, I don't think she's broken three hours for the marathon. Um, I, I don't see her running fast enough to, to, to finish the race in the podium. I think she'll, uh, you know, there might be certain points in the race where you think, oh, Ruth, Ruth Astle is, is, is looking good here. But I, I think that last, last 21K of that marathon will be a little bit too much for her. You know, I, I haven't got her on my podium. I've got her somewhere fifth to eighth. Okay. But yeah. I just, 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 yeah, just an athlete I'm really intrigued to watch because I just, yeah, her performances at Ironman haven't plateaued yet. She's still trending up. So, um, yeah, it, it's you know we haven't seen her race over this distance for six months. But just speaking to her, I could hear some of the changes that have been made, and some there was a confidence that not a confidence that she was going to you know run roughshod through this field, but just a confidence that she was going to be a better athlete, a much better athlete than the last time she stepped out over this distance. So, um, yeah, intriguing. Some other names, just quickly, some other names that, that we don't even have to go too deep on, but I think have attributes that 
could make them relatively competitive, although maybe not the complete game to 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 give them the win. Um, I think Sky will, will probably have quite yeah, a good race. I think definitely, yeah. I think Laura Sedal on her day has attributes that could make her a factor. I don't think she has the capability to podium, but I think she has attributes that could could make her a little bit of a factor. I think um, Jocelyn, if we if we talk about you know people who uh, go under the radar, she might be number one on that list. Um, I think Imogen Simmons has has the ability to have a really good race. I think she could also have a very bad race. I think Imogen's out. I don't think she's racing. Oh, she's not racing. I didn't know that. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard that she's been battling a little injury. And I'm not, I, I may have read that she's over it, but she hasn't logged the training. Okay. Well, she's not going to factor them. Yeah. I think you're right with Sky. I think she's one of the, she could leave egg on our faces. Um, 100%. She's, she uh, might be the, the number one smoky who could win this race, let alone podium. She, I can't see her winning it, but I could see her on the podium for sure. I mean, I just think hometown, home state, um, loves the altitude. Race is great in the US. Race is great everywhere, actually. Um, yeah, just uh, there's just something about just got a feeling. She's, I mean, what was the great performance? Was it Chattanooga where she had a really just a just an eye-opening performance last year? Um, so yeah, I I can see her. Laura, yeah, Laura could be up there somewhere too. But I I see I see Sky as someone who can more close the deal out and, and get get on the podium or the top five. Yeah, her Chattanooga race was mainly what makes me think she's such a smoker. She was very strong that day. Yeah, um, yeah. She did go into Florida and have not quite as good a race despite finishing second though. But yeah. I, I just think she's one of those girls who who could pull out a race that you go, Phew. like a lot of people even in the triathlon scene might be like, who's that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And yes, I do remember her race in Florida. She got second to Heather. Um, but yeah, it's a different course, isn't it? And, and a bit of... I guess different climate as well. This is a much different. This I think this course suits Sky a lot more than Florida does. Yeah, forgets forgetting about that. She was one of those girls uh, competing for the the second and third spots at the seventy point three Worlds, uh, along with Cat as well. She was yes. she was right there and finished fifth uh, or sixth, sixth I think. Um, yeah, yeah. But was right there. Um, so yeah, what what do you reckon? Do you reckon we uh, we 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 say our podiums? Yeah, I think we should. I mean, we've set it up nicely and. Do you want me to go first or are you going to go first? You've pretty much already done yours, so maybe you you go first again. Okay, well, I'm going to go for Laura um, for all the reasons that we mentioned. I'm going to go for Kat in second place. And I'm going to go for Anne rounding out the podium. Um, <laughs> I, I just think she's – I haven't seen a lot of her other than that race in um, – that recent race, I think it was Lanzarote, that she raced Kat and, and one race – it's hard to glean anything from it because we don't know, you know, where her training was, the periodization. Did she have any issues that day? But I just think she's class personified. So I, yeah, I've got her as my third place finisher. The, this is crazy. Neither of us are going to pick Daniela Reef on our podium at an mm. Ironman world championships. Yeah. That's, that's insane to me. And I, I think, God, I, we could easily have egg on, on our faces about that one. Yeah, we we absolutely. Well, that is the kind of athlete who could do it. But I mean, you're we're basing our picks on a lot of things, and you know, I think they're solid so far. I mean, every, all the reasoning you've given me is solid reasoning. So I mean, certainly, Danny would would need a bit of a turnaround in her recent form to to get on the podium and certainly to win. And and I'm going to go 
almost the same as you, except I've got a Laura to win and hug to run into second, but not fin- not be on the bike with them, but she'll run her way into second in the in the back 10 kilometres. Uh, and, and I've got Kat sort of dropping off in the final 10 kilometres into third, but I think she will be sitting in second for a long part of the race. That's probably how I, I see it playing out. I think they're solid picks. Well, that's, uh, that was an in-depth uh, breakdown, probably a little bit deeper than we anticipated it to be, and it was, it was awesome. It was, uh, it was good to see how aligned we were with, with so much of it, um, and, and now I'm pretty excited to actually, actually watch the race and, and see how close we are. Yeah, oh, mate, that's, that's the best part. I mean, we can sit around and – I mean, I've been reading every, everyone's picks from Mark Allen to, to Macca to everybody, and, I mean, you know – when you hear people who have been in the sport, in and around the sport a long time, they always break it down well. And, and you know, there's solid arguments for a lot of athletes. So as always, mate, time will tell. And you're over there Ray, uh, watching, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm heading over. So looking forward to it. I actually haven't, haven't been anywhere really since the – certainly haven't been overseas since the World Ironman World Champs in 2019. That was my last overseas trip. So it would be good to catch up with a lot of – great people and it'll be great to watch all these superstars run around and put on a great show for us and will you be commentating will people be hearing your your voice watching the race uh, i'm not sure i think yeah every every year that i'm over there i get invited in to do a little little guest commentary i always gate crash the uh the commentary box it's a little bit like um Max Walker in the Twelfth Man, when Richie Benno tries to lock him out of the <laughs> Richie Benno tries to lock him out of the commentary box, they get security to arrest him. But yeah, no, well, she always invites me and in have a little yarn. So um, <clears throat> yeah, hopefully I'll get to. Well, I'll definitely be catching up with Walshie over there, one of my best mates. But yeah, hopefully I'll get to. Um, I guess run the slide rule over how everything's going. Whether or not I'm commentating, I'll certainly be out on the course, you know, watching the race closely because I I just love these races. Awesome. Well, feel free to send me through a few photos to post on Instagram of, of race updates. Um, yeah, for sure. It'll be, it'll be awesome to watch it unfold. And thanks, Eve, for jumping on. Have a safe flight. Enjoy your time over there. I'm, I'm pretty jealous. It'll be awesome for you. Um, but yeah, thanks again, Crow. You're, you're an absolute legend and, and I, I appreciate you more than you know for jumping on and doing this with me. Well, pleasure, mate. Well done with the podcast. It's killing it. And mate, you'll have to, you'll have to get yourself to Kona in October. That can be your trip. Yeah, I know. Well, maybe you could uh, put in a word for me. Me and you could do a little a little commentary of our own. And, you know. Who am I going to put in a word with? Yeah, I don't know. Welchie. <laughs> I'll put in a word with uh, Madame Pele. Yeah, I'll get no. I'll get a pe- three pair of Oakleys from from Welchie. That'll do me. Yeah. Well, mate. Yeah, he's he's Mister Oakley. Yeah. He's a good man. He's a good man, Gregory. All right. See you, Crowley. Thanks, mate. Take care, mate. See you later.